the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When Moses recorded the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, it's like, that's not our friend. It just tells us what we did wrong. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. John was full of zeal. And he got to see things that no one else got to see. So not only did they see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, they also were able to witness another miracle that happened that no one else got to see. There was a man named Jairus, and he had a daughter. This man worked in the temple. So we don't know exactly what his place and position was. He could have been one of the Pharisees and what have you. And most of the religious leaders abandoned Jesus. But not this Jairus. Because when his daughter died, he says, Hey, I don't need a bunch of dead religion right now. I need the miracle maker right now. Okay, that's what I need. So he goes to Jesus. And he asked him to come to his home. He says, My daughter has died. And he says, Well, he came. And he came to the house. And they were all weeping and crying and screaming and all of this stuff. And he asked... Peter, James, and John to go with him. And he walked into the house and there's a dead little girl there. And the mother was just in pieces as you could imagine. And Jesus touched that little girl and raised her from the dead. So they saw that. And then the third thing that these three got to do that no one else got to do is when they, after they had that time in the upper room in Jerusalem, they left the upper room at the Last Supper and they walked across the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane. Those of you that have traveled to Israel with us, you were in that very garden. It's still there today. And it's like, and the disciples were all over on one side, but Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to come over to do what? To help and pray for him. Pray with me. Can you hang out with me here? Because Jesus being the word, he understood. He was the actual spirit that spoke to Isaiah the prophet 750 years earlier that recorded the details of the crucifixion. He knew what he was going to be facing. These guys didn't understand it. They were thinking, we just got to eat in the last supper. We packed it down and we're going to take a nap now. It's getting late. They didn't realize Jesus was going to be hanging on a cross in a matter of hours. And so Jesus wanted them to pray with him. Jesus knew all the details, even all the way back a thousand years earlier when he gave those details to King David, the giant slayer in Psalm 22 that records many details of the crucifixion. And he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. But again, those were the disciples that were asked to come and pray. I'm sure they regretted the fact that they fell asleep. But probably the most telling event that would earmark the great love that Jesus had for the Apostle John would be found where? At the foot of the cross. As all the other disciples were running scared for their lives after they took Jesus, after they beat him mercifully, as they took him 
naked. The Bible says he was so bludgeoned you couldn't even tell that he was a man. It was only the Apostle John out of all the disciples that stood at the foot of the cross. And there was Jesus slaughtered for the sin of all humanity. And it was John who stood next to Mary, the virgin girl who God called to bear the Savior of the world out of her own womb. And as Mary stood weeping, watching what no mother should ever have to experience, no mother should ever have to look at, Jesus looked into her tear-filled eyes and said, Woman, behold your son. And to John he said, Behold your mother. It was at that moment that Jesus, hanging in torture right before he died, he gave his mother, John, as a son. And to John, he gave him the great privilege of calling Mary his mother. Yes, John was the one that the Bible says was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now look, Jesus loves every single one of us, right? He loves me, he loves you, and hopefully we love him. But it's just in the Bible, this is the only guy that it says that to. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John was called as a young man. He was called to walk with Jesus. And he walked with him faithfully his entire life. In fact, out of all the disciples, John lived longer than all of the other disciples. In fact, all the disciples, had they all died a martyr's death. In believing in Jesus, they were all put to death early. In fact, they even tried to, according to church history, they tried to kill John too. They said that they put him into a pot of boiling oil, but he didn't boil. So they were frustrated with him. They took him out of the boiling oil and they put him out on the island of Patmos. And that's where he recorded the visions that he saw that records the book of Revelation. Yes, you know, he died at an old age, somewhere in his mid-90s, probably 93, 94 years old, and he died around 100 AD. Which brings up our second point. Who was Jesus? So let us read together here in the Gospel of John, the very first verse. In the beginning was the word. That word for word comes from the Greek word logos or logos. And that word logos means divine expression. So it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So it says, in the beginning was the divine expression. The divine expression was with God. Get this. The divine expression was God. And if you go down to verse 14, it says, And the word, the divine expression, became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, John comes out of the gate lit on fire. I mean, he comes out of the gate, he doesn't waste any time. He says, see, I'm going to get right to the most important issue of all humanity. I want you to know what's going to change the life of every person on planet Earth. I want, to know, I want you to know who Jesus is. He doesn't spend any time with arguing with atheists. He doesn't spend any time arguing with Gnostics or any other heretic that's out there. Because you look at all these false religions around us. The Mormons say that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. 
Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was Michael the archangel. Islam says that Jesus was a prophet. It's like John doesn't waste any time with any of these people. He's a, he says, he lays it down and he lays it down hard. He says, here's the facts. Because he was closer to the Lord than anybody else. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. He says, man, I've walked with Jesus. I've talked with Jesus. I have watched him. I have lived with him for the first three and a half years of his ministry. I was there. He's not speculating here. He's not guessing. He's recording what he knows to be fact by his own firsthand knowledge. That's why he makes such a strong and comprehensive statements in his book concerning Jesus' true identity. And most importantly, the deity of Jesus Christ. As we will see in the coming weeks and months, the Gospel of John, what literally he opens the window of heaven. For the eternal son to descend, yes, the one born of a virgin, was both God and man in one glorious person. The eternal son, God incarnate, meaning God came alive in the flesh. The gospel of John proclaims the true divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ. John says in his book here, basically, Behold your God. I'll give you your God. You want to see him? I'll show you who your God is. And he will drive that point home over and over and over again throughout this entire book. Yes, the viewpoint of the Gospel of John is more elevated. It reaches a higher ground than the other Gospels. The first three Gospels look at Jesus in his humanity, in his human relationships, while John points Jesus He says, this is the one who was born in the manger, who ultimately died on Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, as the one who was equal with God, who humbled himself as a servant, yes, a bondservant. We just got done studying the book of Philippians at our midweek study on Thursday. And in chapter two, it says, Jesus did not look at equality with God as something to be grasped. Why? Because he was God. He says, but he became a bondservant. That word bondservant comes from the Greek word doulos. It means he became a slave by his own free will and desire to do the will of the Father. And what was that? To come to the earth and bear the sin of all humanity upon his body. Yes, he made himself a slave by his own free will and desire. Yes, this Jesus was willing to die on the cross. He was none other than the only begotten of the Father. The theme of this gospel is ultimately the deity of Jesus. That he was, that he is God in human form. The one who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. The one that it said in Isaiah 7, 14. Yes, behold, there's going to be a virgin. She's going to bear a son and his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel in the Hebrew means God with us. Jesus was God with us. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, a son will be given, a child will be born. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that was Jesus. He was the son that was given. He was the child that would be born. Yes, all throughout the Old Testament, we are told in multiple places. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, talking about the Messiah that would come, he'd be called the Son of Man. And many times Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. Yes, the one who the angels heralded to the Bethlehem shepherds, the one who walked 33 years here on earth, the one who was healing the sick, raising up the lame, making the blind see, raising people from the dead, the one who was crucified, who hung, bled, and died on the cross, who three days later rose from the dead, who stayed and walked on the earth another 40 days, was seen, risen from the dead by as many as 500 people at the same time. See, this is why no one could argue with the resurrection back when it happened. Oh, today we have people, well, I don't know if I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And even if he did, I don't believe that he rose again from the dead. Maybe he wasn't quite dead. Maybe the disciples stole his body. Maybe this, maybe that's, oh, be quiet. Nobody cares what you think. Okay, because it doesn't matter. See, no one argued that back in this day. Why? Why didn't they argue that? Because there was so many people that had already seen him. It's like, no way. What are you talking about? He didn't raise again from the dead. There was people all over. It's like, what are you talking about? I just had lunch with him. It's like, don't tell me he didn't raise from the dead. You know, it's like he was here for 40 days. Multiple people seen him. They could not argue at that time. So yes, Jesus, he's none other than the Lord of glory in human form. Yes, the gospel of John is a book of great magnitude. Yet it's recommended by most to new believers. Well, why is that? Because people say it's the best place to start reading. I have to admit, I do the same thing myself. I tell people, you know, you need to read this first. Oh, it's like, well, yeah, I want to start in Genesis, or I want to start here. Why don't I start at the beginning of the New Testament? Matthew is like, look, read these 20 chapters first, then go wherever you want. You want to go somewhere else? Go somewhere else. Read these chapters first. Just go to John first. But again, why is that the best place for someone to start reading? Because of its unparalleled simplicity. Simple to understand, yet it's the most profound in its meaning. John is also the most theological of all the Gospels, mostly, again, concerning the deity of Jesus. Again, being God in the flesh, along with the largest teaching on the Holy Spirit of God that we have in the Bible. He teaches us that also. It's also very evangelistic, containing the most quoted verse of all time. What's the most quoted verse of all time? John 3.16, that's right, amen. It's because, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's so simple, is it not? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He died on a cross. Why? So whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. People used to question me all the time as a youth pastor, because I would take people all around the world 
doing harvest crusades with Pastor Greg Laurie. And I would take 30, 40 kids out and we'd go out on the street for a whole week during the crusade. And we would invite people to the harvest crusade wherever it was at, whatever stadium it was playing in, whatever country we were in. And the whole time we were handing out flyers, we were preaching the gospel. And the whole time we were preaching the gospel, every crusade that we went to, 110, 140, 150, 180, 200, 250 people would give their life to Christ on the street. People would scoff and say, do you really think these people are serious about giving their life to Christ? It's like, yes, yes, they are. Why? How do you say that? Well, first of all, if you start, if you start sharing the gospel with someone, you're explaining to them what John 3.16 means, and you're talking to them for 20, 30, 40, 45 minutes, an hour, what have you, and then you ask that person in a mall, on a street, New York City, thousands of people walking by. Do you think just some normal person is going to bow their head, pray out loud with their mouth, ask Jesus Christ in their heart, out loud, on a street corner with people walking by? you think they're just going to do that if they don't mean it? Of course they mean it. Of course, these people are born again. And I said, you know why I know it's real? Because it's what happened to me. It's what happened to me. Someone just shared the simple gospel message of John 3, 16. And I'm like, man, I need Christ. And it's like I asked Jesus in. And guess what? It changed the trajectory of my life. My whole life changed. 40 years ago, 41 years ago, just completely different. Like, I'm going this direction. The next day, I'm going this direction. Everything changed for me. Radical conversion to Christ. It's also a book of apologetics. Apologetics is being able to defend your faith through the Bible. As John deals so thoroughly on the true identity of Jesus, the God-man, whose divine and human natures were perfectly united in the, persons, in the person of Christ. Yes, this is why the gospel was written. Jesus was the prophesied Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. You know, Christ is not his last name. Hi, Mr. Christ. How are you? It's Jesus Christ. It's like, no, Jesus was, Jesus was his name. Christ was his title. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ, the Savior. John is also the only one of the disciples to record all seven emphatic I am statements where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the true vine. These are very, very important statements, which we will look at in detail as we get to each one of them. Know this, the term I am, that's the name that God gave himself. Jesus used it purposely. Because of that. And you remember when that happened. It was Moses, right? Moses was, you know, called by God to go up to the mountain of God. He saw the fire, you know, happening on the mountain. So he goes up to the top of the mountain. And what does he find? A bush that's on fire, but yet it's not burning. I mean, it's burning, but the bush isn't on fire. But there's fire all around it. And so out of the bush comes a voice. Take off your sandals. The ground you walk on is holy. So Moses is like, oh my goodness. And God starts speaking to him through this burning bush. 
And so he says, I want you to go down there. I want you to go to Egypt. And I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Because they've been in bondage and slavery for all these hundreds of years. I want them gone. I want them out of there. And Moses is like, yeah, but Lord, what do I say? I mean, who do I say sent me? I can't tell them I'm just here looking at this bush on fire. They're going to think I was smoking some bush, okay? So it's like, what, what do I say here? And so then God says, out of the flame of the bush, he says, I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. That's in Exodus 3.14 out of the Torah. So when Jesus used those moments of I am, they had Bam! It was punched to it. And that's why he says, before Abraham was, in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am, he said. Wow, that was powerful. Yes, God spoke through Moses. Yes, and he used him mightily. This is the very name that God again gave himself. And here in the Gospel of John, he brings it all out so clearly. Plus, John makes it very clear at the end of this book what his purpose was for writing this book. Look what he says at the end of John. In John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. See, that's why he wrote it. I'm telling you, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, and if you embrace this, you will have life in his name. If you reject him, you will have no life. But if you embrace him, you will have life. Yes, John was an eyewitness to everything that was written in this book. He walked with Jesus for over three and a half years. He was part of the inner circle of the disciples along with Peter and James. He said he beheld him. We have seen him with our own eyes, he says. We've heard him with our own ears. I've touched him with my own hands. We know that he's real. And we know and believe he is who he claimed to be. Look, there are times when Jesus is referred to as the son of God. While other times he's referred to and he's worshipped. He's worshipped. He would never receive worship if he was not God himself. Now, how does all this work? How can he be the son of God and be God at the same time? Plus, let's not forget what the Holy Spirit says. You know, he claims to be God also. God has revealed himself in three capacities as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How it all works is very simple. When we get into heaven, we'll see it and we'll know how it works. That's it. But until then, we take it by faith because that's what the Bible teaches. Which brings up our third and final point, why he came. Why would the creator of the universe... Why would the creator of all things seen and unseen desire to come down and dwell with his own creation? Why would he do that? Why would he want to come down to this place and dwell with a bunch of people who are imperfect? You know, because one day we need him. Why? Because we have sinned. And the only way to get to heaven is to be pure and holy. No sinner can stand in the presence of God. But how could that ever happen? You know, we are so far from perfect. But again, that's why the creator came down to his creation to die 
for his creation. The creator dying for his creation. But how does the death of Christ actually affect us? What does it mean to us? It should mean everything to us. Think again about what our plight is before we come to Christ. Before he came into our lives. Before the light of the world shined into our very souls. Before the living water gushed within us. Before the bread of life filled us inside. We were lost. We were so lost. I remember how I would be like the, 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 you know, the guy at the party is always joking around. Everyone liked me. All of these things. But as soon as I was alone, the emptiness that was like the size of a Grand Canyon was just filled my heart. And it was just, I was always aware of the emptiness inside. I was always aware that, man, there's something out there that I don't have. And I just remember it so vividly. And when Christ came in my life, I've never had that feeling ever again. He filled the Grand Canyon of emptiness inside of me. And now look at us. Look where we are now. We went from being dead in our sins, separated from God, and now we're redeemed. He had bought us back from the law of sin and death. See, the law is not our friend. When Moses recorded the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, it's like, that's not our friend. It just tells us what we did wrong. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church L.A. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 